life ever thrown you a curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who have been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Living Your Legacy podcast. Off the top, I have to apologize a little. My son has a cold and he has shared with me. So if I sound a little congested and gravelly, um, it is not intentional. It is something that we are working to get rid of. Today, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about being a special needs parent. And I wanted to talk to you specifically around support for special needs parents. Those of us who are special needs parents can tell you that it is a lonely journey. We often feel very alone and we feel very unsupported. We wish there was someone to metaphorically and or physically hold our hand and help us through making these really big decisions for our children, decisions that have ramifications and impacts that we don't know in the moment we have to make those decisions. And today, I am so excited to be able to share with you that I found someone who not only wished that he had that support, but is becoming a legacy creator and creating it for other people. So I'm super excited to welcome to the call, Mr. Mike George. Mike, I'm so excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks, Michelle. Awesome. So let me tell you a little bit about Mike. Mike George helps family caregivers shift from feeling alone, fearful, and uncertain, which we all feel, to becoming confident, empowered champions. And I love that choice of words. A caregiver himself for nearly three decades, Mike intimately understands the burdens of supporting the primary care of a loved one. And we're going to dig into that. But he also knows the tremendous fulfillment it can bring. And I love the hope and optimism in that sense. This lived experience was the inspiration behind the creation of the caregiver support formula and the Soaring Families Way, a proven model that guides families in designing the home care experience their family deserves. Mike is a speaker an author, and co-founder of Soaring Families, the hidden universe of family caregivers you didn't know existed. Mike, there is so much in that introduction that I just want to pull apart and share with everybody. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, and I wish I had known you about 18 years ago when we started having all the diagnoses for my son coming up. So tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, the reality is, when you're in grade four and the teacher asks what you want to be when you grow up, um, primary caregiver, probably not top of the list and definitely not about creating support systems for other primary caregivers. So 
Tell us the story of how you got to this. Sure. Well, I, as you said in the intro, it, it's three decades in the making. Um, our youngest, Ben, was born in 92. And it was, you know, an uneventful pregnancy, if I can say that. And so we were expecting everything to go like the other two were. Uh, but it was completely the opposite. And about an hour after he was born, we spoke with um, one, a specialist, a neonatologist, who basically said that we had a very sick child, that he had an enlarged liver and spleen, his platelet count was dangerously low, and basically he may not live the day. And that was kind of all one ramble of one sentence. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And I mean, how do you respond to that? How do you even process that? Um, and so it, our, our first reaction was, you, well, you must have the wrong baby. We just saw, you know, we just saw Ben in, a little while ago and he looked fine to us. But in fact, it was Ben. And um, the um, it, it, it was a very surreal and unbelievably uncertain and stressful set of few days in the uh, intensive care unit. Um, no one could kind of figure out why it was like this um, or why didn't we know about this before and what's happened. And, but the, you know, one of the questions that we just basically asked is, you know, could he, could he die? And the specialist said, yes, he could. And so it was really about, they weren't sure what they could do to, improve his condition, but they would continue to monitor and, and, you know, and do what they could. Um, and then about four days in, I mean, we saw a, a slew of people of specialists and, and therapists and different people to try and, you know, figure out what was going on and what, what, what our life would look like. But the, the, the thing that sticks in my head, even to this day was a neurologist came and said to us basically that, Ben may never walk, talk, or go to school. And again, one long, simple sentence, and you're trying to process. I mean, even one of those things, you try to figure out, well, what does that mean? He won't be able to walk. Okay, he won't be able to talk. What do you mean not go to school? If all those combined, it was just, uh, it, it was overwhelming. We, no one could process that. No one knew what to do with that. And when we walked out of the hospital, um, you know, seven days later, Basically, we were given a laundry list of problems with no resolutions or no ways to solve them. And, you know, there was told, we were told basically there was nothing anyone could do to help us. And that's how Ben's life and our life started together. Um, we one day kind of blended into the next. We were dealing with, you know, a number of health issues and um, just a whole lot of uncertainty even the fact that I had three physicians in my family really didn't help a whole lot because they didn't really know. They, they kind of knew what could happen, but there was really not a whole lot of support or an understanding of, well, you know, if you do these things, then things will work out. Like I, I look for that person, but I couldn't find that person. And it was basically Mike and Jan and Ben facing the world, you know, on our, on our own. And we had two other children and, um, you know, all that experience that we had of being parents meant almost nothing in this particular case. So we were thrown into the deep end and it was trying to figure out how we were all going to swim through it. Um, 
there were a number of, you know, I mean, there, there was doctor's appointment and specialist appointments, and we got connected with the Children's Hospital um, in Halifax, and that was the closest one. And that became our, our second home three times a year, just to see and monitor and figure out how we can help Ben. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge for me, at least, and, you know, I know for, for Jan and everybody and for Ben, is the fact that he has seizures. And those tend to be very scary. Those always are disruptive to everything. And they just turn your world upside down. And even to this day, that's something that we we have to deal with and try not to think about, but it's an ongoing problem. However, um, you know, as over the first four or five years, they were probably the worst of the years trying to figure out what we needed to do. I don't know how many panic rushes to the ER we had and, and surgeries and things like that. But at some point along there, we... I guess decided or figured out or or something happened where we said, you know, there's no reason why Ben can't follow the normative pathways of life like everybody else. He yeah, he has all kinds of support needs. He has all kinds of medical issues. But it's it's all about the support. If we give him the right support, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to do that. And that was kind of our guiding light over the years to kind of pull us through. Not everybody, you know, agreed with us. Not everybody could see beyond the problems that he had. And a lot of the experts lowballed, you know, expectations and rightly or wrongly. But we, you know, pursued all of that. He went to public school. It was, you know, I could talk for days on all those, you know, ups and downs. But we eventually found people that, you know, that believed in Ben and believed in us. And they were the ones that we stuck to, to kind of move us through and help us and help him develop. Um, It got to the point where once he got into high school, which was very different from sort of middle and, and elementary school, we had kind of a transformation. We got to this school and actually this school was a school that both Jan and I went to. And the, the staff there and the administration were just top notch. And they basically took us under their wing and, fi- and said, we're going to figure this out. We're going to do is whatever we can. We're going to find whatever supports we need. And everybody rallied around. And I, for me, that was a turning point that we had this supportive community that, you know, we could rely on that Ben was comfortable in. And it was just a, you know, despite everything else that was going on, um, he got through, you know, high school, he stayed as in as long as he could. He aged out at the age of 21 because that's the little, that's the end of your road, um, into that, into the public system. And it was something that towards the end of that, of his high school years, we saw the learning that he was actually being able to do. And we were able to do that because um, we found another champion. We found um, a specialist who could help design Ben's language system because basically for the first 19 years, he didn't have a voice. He had no way of communicating other than facial expressions. And so obviously he had no way of following any sort of academic program. Um, 
but we did find someone who trusted and believed in Ben was able to give him a language system. It's a communication device. And from there, we saw some real um, progress in terms of now Ben had a voice to say something. I mean, this is a long story, but basically we realized that he can, he loves learning. He is going to continue to learn. And we found a way to enroll him in a post-secondary institution here in New Brunswick. Um, had no idea how that was going to work uh, because of course, for, you know, the first 19 years of his life, he didn't have any, um, you know, sort of academic training, but nevertheless, we thought he's not going to just sit at home. We've got to do something with that. Um, again, we found some really supportive people who helped us find the right courses, have find the right profs that, you know, wanted to, uh, to support Ben and, and teach Ben because not everybody wanted a Ben in his, in their class. I mean, he, he would have been, and probably still is the, uh, a student that needed the most support ever in the university's history. Um, but nevertheless, they were going to try and it, uh, you know, we just pushed on through. We found the right um, people to help us and to help Ben. Ben did all the work. He passed the courses, if you can believe that. And in 2019, he actually uh, graduated from UNB with a certificate in general studies. So it's it's been it's been uh, a, a crazy ride, but it it's just it, you know Ben has shown us that we should never take no for an answer. And we just keep pushing along until we find the right people to say yes. And those are the people that you stick with. Okay. We could actually stop the podcast just right there with that story. Um, because if our audience is not inspired yet, um, I don't know what would inspire someone. So there's a number of threads there that I just wanted to pick up on before we move into what you've decided to do with all that learning. Um, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that that was coined by someone who has a neurotypical, physically able child. Uh, because truthfully, I think it takes a small city to parent and raise a child with disabilities. Um, and, and it's not just the small city. You actually need a whole lot of experts in your small city uh, to be able to help because for simple things for you and I, for example, if you and your wife wanted to go out to dinner, you can't just have the kid down the street babysit for you, not with Ben, not with his needs. So you would have had to really seek out skilled and qualified people, uh, for you to be able to push in the school system. You had to have some people who were willing to take risks, big risks, uh, people who were willing to say, we see your child. We don't just see the bundle of disabilities. We see the child. We hear the hope that you're striving for, for your child. And we're going to work alongside you. We don't know what we're doing any more than you know what you're doing. But I think if we work together, we can figure it out. And really, as a parent of a child with disabilities, that's all you want to hear. I don't necessarily need to know that the professionals have all the answers. Now, I'd like them to have the answers and be able to tell me, but if they don't and they're willing to work with us to figure it out, that means the world to me. And I'm sure it meant the world to you too. I also want to speak to the resiliency. In, this, in the story you just told us, 
there was a great deal of resiliency that you and your wife had to have in yourselves, in each other, in your child, a great deal of resiliency you had to build around Ben so that he could raise up. I love your story about him not having a voice. Not that I love that he didn't have a voice, but that you found his voice. And when you found his voice, you found him. He was now able to communicate with you all the things that he wanted and he needed. He was then able to understand abstract concepts, uh, which again, people take for granted. I mean, parents always say it's so amazing. The first time you hear your child say, I love you. Well, I heard it for the first time after my child's 18th birthday uh, because he couldn't say it. He struggles with communication too. Now he's got the words. And how do you explain a concept like love to someone who struggles with communication? Because there's all kinds of different love. And how does that work? And then there's, you know, the love that is unique or, um, you know, those kinds of things or falling in love versus loving someone. There's so many things that people don't think about, but that you had to think about. Really, how were you going to explain all these things? I'm so excited, though, that you persisted and that your son persisted with you and that he managed to you found a university. And I love that, too. They were like, we don't know, but we'll figure it out. We're willing to work with you if you're willing to work with us again. That's an amazing feat in and of itself to get your son in and then for him to get himself out is extraordinary. Uh, you have so much in that story to be proud of. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, so you can look back at all those kind of pivotal moments. Um, I want to circle back though to the very beginning because mm-hmm. the very beginning, I think, is the beginning of what has become now what you're offering as your legacy. Um, you know those phrases that are your child may not walk or talk or go to school. Um, again, you're right. In and of each one of them is a very overwhelming thing to put them all into one sentence. And I giggle because I have heard those sentences myself. And I'm pretty sure I sat there with my mouth open like, what? What? (laughs) I couldn't think of any other word. Like, what? And, you know, to think you have to go home with that. They sent you home seven days after he was born with all that swirling around in your head, two other children at home. And the, what do we do now? Question like, what do we do with this information? There are so many people who would go down a very deep, dark hole with that and stay there have a lot of difficulty finding the sunshine anywhere. And I'm sure you had days where that hole seemed pretty deep and dark and the sun wasn't shining very brightly, but still you found your way out of it. And then, then you decided to do something more than just parent Ben. What did you decide to do with that? Well, it, it was, I, I guess it goes back to, you know, I, I, like anyone would look for, give me some information, give me some hope on how I can navigate this life that, that I've been given and trying to find other parents, trying to find other people who have gone through it. Um, and 
you know, in 92, we didn't have Facebook or high-speed internet, as, as old as that makes me sound. Um, you had to write letters to people. You had to call people. And it wasn't easy to find people who were in the same situation. Uh, we did find some, but there were enough differences in their, in their children's progress that we tried to figure out how's that going to help Ben? How's that going to help us? And we really didn't, um, you know, didn't find the perfect match. But that was sort of my starting to think, you know, if I had a book about this is what it's like to go through for the first five or six years, that would, would have been immensely helpful. And that gave me the idea to actually, okay, well, that one doesn't exist. Maybe I'll, I'll write my own book. Um, it took me 10 years to do it. And I had no idea how to do it um, on top of all the other things we were dealing with. But that got me started to if we could share what we've learned and all the other pieces, I know that would have been helpful to us and I'm sure it'll be helpful to others. That's what got us started down this path. And it has evolved into this entity called Soaring Families. And then it has evolved into the, you know, the very specific uh, support that we, and the help and the advice that we try to provide families um, to have this amazing home care experience. And that's where we are now. Again, I could stop the podcast here and say, well, now people, instead of staying in a deep, dark hole, Mike and his wife decided to do something about it. And yeah, it took you 10 years to write your book. I don't know where you found the time with parenting your child and working. You were working at the time, right? Right. Oh, yeah. I continue to. Yeah. Yeah. So you were yeah. working, you were parenting this child, trying to figure this all out, living out of hospital at least three times a year, multiple trips to the emergency room. Oh, and there were the two other children you were raising at the same time. So, yeah, it took you 10 years to write that book. That comes as no shock to me. But way to go. What's the title of your book? It's called Third Time Lucky, How Ben Shows Us the Way. There you go. Makes sense, given now that we know about your two other children and how the story of raising Ben has dramatically changed you and your family. So tell me now a little bit about Soaring Families. What is that and what do you do? So it it's at the beginning of trying to figure out how we can help families, um, it was what was kind of the the thing or the what has given us the most benefit and support to get to where we are and the biggest thing was we realized maybe not early on but at some point along in the journey that we can't do everything ourselves nor should we and the only way that we can get farther is to have a network of support and a team around us and at at some point through, you know, our children growing and going to school and us having to work and, and all those sorts of things, finding care for Ben was a big deal. And it wasn't easy. When he was younger, you could get a babysitter. You could get someone to sort of fill in the gaps when you weren't around. But as he got older and things got more complicated, you need to hire somebody who did that for a living or someone who wasn't a babysitter, if you will. And we went through a lot of iterations of how do we find the right person? Um, you know, how does that work in our home? And we made all kinds of mistakes 
and we paid for those mistakes. Um, and we did have someone who stayed with us for seven or eight years, maybe longer. And that was probably our biggest mistake is because it's a tough job and we didn't recognize that it, how tough it was for others, even though we were living at 24 hours a day. And she was our only caregiver. And she left on a Thursday evening one day and the, her husband called and t- basically tore a strip off me and said how poorly we treated her and she's never coming back. And so it was, well, what do you mean she's never coming? She was just here an hour ago. Can I talk to her? And no, you can't talk to her. And that was it. We were, our, our caregiver quit and no notice and we were left hanging. And it was from that point that we realized, okay, we can never, ever be in this situation again. You know, not, not only that, but okay, what are we going to do tomorrow? We both have to go to work and next week and like so on and so forth. Right. It just was the rug had been pulled out and we had no idea what to do. So that kind of started us thinking, okay, what do we need to put in place? Like we can't be around this anymore. And that's where this notion of, uh, I guess a process, we had to take a more professional way of finding caregivers, um, you know, getting them trained and, and making sure things were working well. And we put this, you know, that's what we had done in our work lives. We hire teams and manage people. And we, so we know the process to do it. So it, why would it be any different than bringing someone into your home? Well, it is, but finding and making sure that work was where Soaring Family started. And that provided us the biggest benefit. I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you right now unless someone was with Ben. And it's it's part of his caregiving team. We call them Team Ben. So that's what we've formulated into a set of, I guess, you know, a, a, a set of pr- processes and steps for someone to take and say, okay, if I want to find someone for my family, what do I have to do? First, you do this and then you do that. And it has evolved into a, a more comprehensive training program that now we call the caregiver support formula. And it has evolved since we started, obviously. And it's really based on what we see as the three pillars of home care. The first one is the obvious one, finding the right person to be in your home. And it's more of it's more than just do they have the right skills do they have the right qualifications is are they going to fit into my situation are they the right personality are they going to be able to figure out you know things in an emergency those sorts of things um you know cuz just because Sally is a registered nurse doesn't mean that Sally's going to fit into my home she might be a great nurse but she's she's the wrong type of person So that's the first one is finding the right caregiver. The second pillar is getting your home organized to have a stranger, to have someone come in because your home is their workplace. And that creates a really different and interesting dynamic that you don't want to mess up. And that's something that we had messed up. You don't want everyone to blur the lines because even though they're, um, you know, a, a really good person you found, they can never be your friend because that that blurs the line between sort of employee and employer situation. You'll get into real trouble if you blur that line. So we show families how to do that. And then the, the third part is, okay, I've got the right person. My home's working really well. I know how to get that set up. Once they're in your home, how do you make sure, or how do you help them make sure they bring their best every day? 
so that your family member is got the best care possible. And that's the third pillar of, of home care that we've designed into this, into this training program. And it takes all the sort of the people leadership skills that we've learned on, you know, managing people and leading people and all of that and put it into, here's the, here are the things you should do to make sure the relationship is, is respectful. It's going well. And what happens when things go south or when you run into problems, how do you deal with those, um, those, those issues? Because it is a little bit different. If you're in a workplace, you get to go home and you can leave those problems in the workplace until tomorrow. But it, once, but they're in your home. So you have to deal with them. You can't just leave them. And we show families how to sort of navigate through that. And sometimes it's easy to, you know, resolve them. And sometimes you have to have tough conversations uh, because at the end of the day, it's about your family member getting the best care. Nothing else matters. And if you've kind of set that culture and get that instilled in people from the get-go, things work a whole lot easier. Wow. Um, I was listening to your three pillars and thinking about my son um, as I was listening to you. And you're absolutely right. Um, it, a lot of what you said there is uh, very not, it wouldn't take a brain researcher to, to make those conclusions, but it's like a face palm moment where you're like, Oh, why didn't I think of that? Where you're absolutely right. My son is very gregarious and outgoing, uh, shy, introverted people don't work well with him. He can't understand why they don't respond, um, in a very gregarious way. He's also a visual learner. So he is seeking those visual cues from people. So if you're not visually expressive, you're not a good fit for my son because he won't understand your behavior. And often he misunderstands shy, quiet for they don't like me. And then we have a whole host of other things that you have to unravel. So I totally see what you're saying there with that. And that it made me think about that because it took us a while to be able to kind of verbalize that, that, you know, this is who we're, who we need. So it's not just their qualifications, but is it the right personality fit? Um, Do they like the same things my son likes doing? Because if you absolutely hate going to the movies, you're going to, to like struggle in this job. My son loves the movies. Or if you do not like WWE, my gosh, my son loves WWE. So (laughs) if you don't like that and you don't like playing video games with him, you're going to have a really hard time. So I get that. That's, that makes an awful lot of sense. Then I love what you said about that home work relationship that you're right. It's your home, but it is their workplace. So that is a different sense of how you engage with people um, of the kinds of things you say. I mean, nobody wants to have a fight when someone's in the house, right? Cause you're like, I don't really want them hearing these things that are going to be said, and, but now they're in your house and you're like, Hmm, we have to learn to navigate a whole bunch of things a new way. So I love that piece of it too. And that that person shares your vision which obviously as a parent, you would need to be able to clearly communicate for your child. Um, like you, we've had professionals tell us that you know they weren't sure if my son was going to walk or talk as well. Um, they weren't sure about, uh, you know, whether he was going to be in and out of a wheelchair his whole life. Like 
there's been a lot of things that we've been told that have really made us stop and think, okay, well, now we need to decide on housing situations. We need to decide on, you know, just for our family to live, like we need to keep all that in mind. Right. But at the same time, you hit on something there that I I really love um, as well. When we talk about our children who are differently abled, uh, it is really easy. And sometimes I, I have certainly seen parents do this, that when you ask about their child, you get the laundry list of disabilities. And when you do that, it's really hard, I discovered, for the other person to see beyond that especially if it's not in the realm of their experience. Now, you and I could have a very different conversation because we share the lifestyle of, if you want to call it a lifestyle, of having a child with disabilities. Who knew that was a lifestyle? I've just coined a new phrase here. Um, Right, but we share that life. So to have those conversations just acknowledges what's real for us. Mm -hmm. But... um, Even little things like our specialists are at Children's Hospital. And I would say things or post on Facebook. Oh, you know, today's a Children's Hospital day. In my mind, thinking, oh, that's where the specialists are. So we're just going for appointments. But for the majority of parents who don't have children with disabilities, you would only go there if your child was dying. So the responses I got totally surprised me. Oh, my God, is your child okay? Is everything okay? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Like we just went to the doctor. (laughs) So remembering that our experience is very different. And so how we communicate that is different and how you communicate about your child. I mean, obviously for a caregiver position, they do need to know the laundry list of disabilities. They do need to know the list of challenges. But at the same time, you want someone who is going to see beyond all that to the child that's there to the person, to, you know, my son happens to have a very wicked sense of humor. Um, He is very mischievous. Uh, You know, he has a smile that completely lights up the room and he smiles with his whole body, like top down. So um, it's a very interesting thing. And when he smiles and gets that, he laughs. He's the kid in the movie theater that starts laughing and then everybody else giggles because his laugh is so infectious. When I tell you that, when you see my child, That's what you see first. So it's a tough balance between here's the child you're working with. Here are the challenges and the things we need you to be able to address. But at the same time, you can't get so lost in addressing them that you forget that there's this child here who needs to be a person and treated as a person. Good, bad, and otherwise. They need you to see their sense of humor, to see the things that frustrate them, to help them understand the world around them because you need to be able to see things from their perspective, or at least as close as we can get to it. So you're right. Like that person really does need to be a, a good match, but B in the sense of what's going on in your family, they have to be able to see the child as closely as you can see the child in order to be able to do a really good job of technically co-parenting, right? You're working together to parent this child. That's great. And then, um, I love how you put all of that together into, I mean, those sound very, very simple, but they're Mm -hmm. not simple steps to take for sure. 
And then you started working with families, but you were mentioning in our pre-conversation before the podcast that um, one of the areas that you started feeling like there was some more support needed was exactly what I was just talking about, having other parents to be able to speak to. And that's led you to a new change that's going on in your business. Could you talk a little bit about that for us? Sure. So the... um the program we we designed the caregiver support formula was basically a self study you do it at your own pace but it is a formula that you follow and you'll find the right person and and your home care will be great the the challenge for many people is one you know i don't have the time to do it or i can start it but there's some other distractions so it it's tough for pe- people can make the decision and say yes i want to do this training but I don't know the stats of signing up for online training, but I think it's like 90% of the time you don't get past, you know, the first 10% of the, of the training. So it, it was, it was only successful if people had the, 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 uh, the time to do it and they had the energy to do it, which a lot of families have neither. So what we've done this year is we've taken that formula that training and wrapped a group coaching program around it. So over a period of, a, of six weeks, we're going to, we have a zoom sessions where families get together. We'll provide the training. We'll provide the sort of the, the, the main pieces of, of what you need to do around those three pillars. They have access to the, you know, the full 17 modules that you can go through. And we have a conversation every week about here's what you can do. You can ask questions. The interaction of group of a group session is so much better than, you know, doing it on yourself. You get to learn from other families that may be further down the road than you are or just have different experiences. And that whole development of that rapport is is second to none, really. Um, so we do it over a six week period. We'll take you through all those pieces to help show you, support you over those six weeks so that at the end of it, you've got the tools and the confidence to kind of take the next step and do this yourself. And that's what we've done this year to get people off the ground, if you will. Um, the, what we've found and what we were hoping was that, you know, people would walk away with the confidence and with the skills to do it, but we weren't sure. This was just our, in looking at what we could do and what really would happen, you know, we weren't really sure until we tried it. And every person, and this is not exaggeration, and I'm not trying to say this is the best thing ever, but it is, the, every single family has been trans, it's a transformation for them. It really is. It's a, it's a mindset shift. It's a realization of, wow, I can do this. I now have a confidence and I, I, you know, I don't have to take the first person that the agency sends me and here's why. And when I do have someone in my home, I know what to do now if this happens. So it's exactly what we were hoping would happen. And that's what gets us out of bed every day is that, that we're seeing that transformation in other families is just amazing. It's so fulfilling for us. And we, we want to do it, you know, for a million more families, if that's possible. Well, we'll certainly do our best to make it possible. Um, and I love that. It is the community piece 
that so many of us as special needs parents are missing. Like your son, my son has some very unique challenges and a unique cluster of disabilities. I've never met another child who has my son's cluster of disabilities. I'm told that they are out there. I have never met one um, or and no family connected to one of those children. But for me, for me as a parent, it is a relief to meet other parents of kids with disabilities because I feel like I can just be myself, that I can be real about what's going on in our family, that I can say things without the fear of judgment because those families have got stuff that, that they're afraid of the world is going to judge them on too. And so we don't have to judge each other. We can actually, for lack of a better word, commiserate. We can, Mm -hmm. we can connect and say, Oh, you too. Like you feel like that, or you've had this experience or, you know, you've, you felt this hopeless before really. Okay. It's not just me. So in some ways that's such a relief because that's a big burden to have to carry as an individual or a couple. Um, and the statistics on couples with um, dis- children with disabilities are pretty abysmal um, as well. They often don't stay together mm-hmm. because there's it's so hard um, on varieties of levels. But I love that sense of community, um, that sense of I'm going to come and I'm going to learn. And if I didn't get through it all, because you're right, there's distractions. There's also just life. Maybe mm-hmm. your child is having a really bad week or month or year. And you are so focused on just making it through the day that the idea of taking on some higher level learning is just the thought of it is exhausting. And I know this from personal experience, like, oh, you'd like me to read that. Okay, when? I'm not sure when I'll get into bed to try and read it, but then I'm so tired. I wake up with it lying on me. So I fell asleep. So that ability to hear other people's voices, to hear your words of wisdom, to hear, well, I read this, but maybe I didn't understand that, or I'm not sure how that applies to my situation. Can I ask some questions about that? Or I think I understood it right. Could you clarify that for me? Um, And that sense of community, I bet some of those people remain friends beyond the six weeks. And now they have a community of people that if it's a bad day, they can share it. But equally, if your child and sometimes our child's gains are so small that they're easy to miss. But for us, those gains are monumental. So having somebody else to say, you know, for example, a simple one, I had never heard my son say my name for the longest time in my life. I was, uh, That was the title I had. He had daddy. It was Addie is what he called him. So Addie and uh, he would point at me. And I thought, well, that's just not fun. That's not the name I want. (laughs) And then it progressed to him calling me a ma. We had to really work on that. And then it went from there to mama. And then one day I was working away and I heard this little voice behind me go, Michelle. And I froze. Wow. And I turned around and I looked at him and here he was standing there proud as punch and he was eight. So it was eight before I ever heard him say my proper name. Now, my other son was saying my name at like two. He would go, mama, 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 Michelle. 
Because of course I would turn around and be like, why are you calling me by my name? I am mama. So, but my oldest son, he was eight. And that was such a huge, like, I remember sitting in, I remember he was wearing his pajamas and it was in the middle of the day. Like I remember so many details about that because that was a very profound moment. Now, if you were not a special needs parent, you might be like, I don't get it. Why was that so big? Um, Cause he was eight and I had no name. And, mm-hmm. but another special needs parent, I watched your response. As I told you that you responded the way I would respond. If another parent told me that you recognize the monumental moment that was in my life and in his, and he was so excited about it. He still refers back to it because I responded so strongly. <laughs> it made an impact on him too. Um, and so now when he really wants my attention, he'll go to Michelle <laughs> for sure. He's figured that out. Yeah. He totally has. He's got yeah. me, he's got me all figured out, mm-hmm. but that sense of community, that sense of other people to share with that sense that it is a shared responsibility and a shared place to share your successes and your fears and your worries. That is huge. And that is regardless of what country you live in, what language you speak. That's a common feeling. We all want to be connected. We want to have, I refer to us as the dragon slayers. We get up every day and slay the dragon every day. It might be a dragon that's connected to our child. It could be parenting and working. It could be just making time in your own relationship, whatever it is, you slay the dragon every day. And I never realized how important that community was until I found it. And that's huge. And I'm so grateful that you took the initiative to take that on because that's a blessing, regardless of children's disabilities or what families Mm -hmm. are dealing with, just to have some other people who get it, who speak the same language, who live similar experiences. you know, really makes such a world of difference so that on your bad days, the days where you were down in that deep, dark hole and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm getting out of here today. You know, there's a hand reaching down for you and someone is saying, I'm here. I'm here. You're going to be okay. I might not have the answers, but sometimes just talking it through, you'll figure it out. Or maybe I am, like you said, a little further down that road than somebody else. And I can share with you my experiences and the lessons I've learned from the mistakes I made. So you don't necessarily need to make them too. Mm -hmm. I love all of those things. That's just such an incredible um, an incredible story and such power in you taking the initiative to say, well, if it is to be, it's up to me. If we want to create this kind of a community, we want to have it, then we need to put some effort in to create it. I think that's really extraordinary and very, very powerful. So I'm sure that there are going to be people listening to this who are thinking, I need to know that guy too. So how can somebody find you? What's a good way for someone to, to find you? So the best, the, the easiest way is really just send me an email and it's mike at soaringfamilies.com. I read it all the time. It's it's something that I, I enjoy getting from people and interacting. And yeah, that's, that's the quickest, simplest, and I will respond personally to everyone that sends me a note. And I just wanted to add one thing. So the, the community part has been really the, I guess, the driver for Soaring Families. And I haven't it, we, we've, we've had it for seven years now. And for seven years, I've been trying to figure out how do we build community? How do you 
create something that's energizing for people that exactly all the words you just said, where you can come in and you can share and learn and all of that. And, and, you know, there's thousands of Facebook groups out there. That's not what I was looking for. It was looking for something different. Um, and so what it, it's, it kind of all came together last week, um, talking to a couple of friends of mine and what I'm doing in January is launching a beta version of what I'm calling the Soaring Families Inner Circle. We're going to, I don't know how it's going to go. Um, it may, if we get great feedback and people are excited about it, we'll keep going. We're just going to try it for a month. Um, if it bombs and it's like, this is the worst thing possible, then we'll stop. So we, we really have nothing to lose for people. And so I'm, I'm, asking, inviting some people who want to try this, some beta subscribers, they want to send me an email to say, what's this all about? How's it going to work? Um, we'll probably just meet a couple of times in the month. You don't want to, you know, burden people with all these expectations. Let's get the conversation started and see how it goes. So that's really why we wanted to build Soaring Family. It's great to give people the skill sets and the confidence, but, you know, once you're done the training, then what? You, you still have other things that happen every single day, as you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, just to to do that. And so, yeah, reach out to me and I can, uh, let, let's let's try to work this together, build something that's really cool together. And, um, but yeah, I'm ready to go. That is awesome. Uh, and I'm so excited because this is the first I've heard of it too. So that's really exciting. Um, and I'm excited for you and for the people whose lives will be impacted. So of course, this is why I chose you as a legacy creator, because you are someone who is clearly living into your legacy. It's not something that's done. You're still mm -hmm. seeking ways to create and connect and to support people and do all those other wonderful things. And I am so grateful that I've had the opportunity to meet you and now to use this platform to uh, amplify your voice out to a whole new audience. Thank you so much for being with us today. It really was an honor talking to you. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michelle. Thank you for the time. It's, it's been, it's been fun. That's amazing. And for those of you, if you didn't get a chance to write down Mike's email, um, we will be posting his email address and all the links to the different things he's got going on in the show notes. So please go in and check them all out. If you think that Soaring Families is a connection piece that you need in your life, I highly encourage you to reach out to Mike. He really is like this when you talk to him. Uh, he's not just doing it for the podcast today. Uh, we've had a conversation once before, and he was actually kind enough to reach out to me in between then and now um, to offer to stay connected. Um, and I know he responds very quickly because I've emailed him several times and he responds very promptly. Um, or if it's, do you know families who might be having a difficult time? Pass on the podcast link to them, pass on Mike's uh, email address to them and ask them to reach out to one of the best gifts we can give our children is to have the courage to rise above and be better parents ourselves. So I highly encourage people to reach out and start forging this um, international community, again, regardless of language or country. Um, our experiences are very similar and the wealth of knowledge and support we can offer each other just makes everybody's lives better. So again, Mike, thank you so much. I really and truly believe that your legacy is going to change those millions of lives you hope to reach. Thanks, Michelle. No problem. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. 
Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.